as we come to uh, reflect on uh, God's word to us today. Um, Let's ask for his help, shall we? Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you've caused all scripture to be written by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that by that same spirit, you would teach us now from your word, equip us to live as your people, help us to see you. And Father, as we come to see and know you, transform us by your spirit. And we pray this for our good and your name's sake. Amen. Looks really lovely to be here again. If I didn't get a chance to meet you last week, my name's Victor. I'm uh, the rector, um, which means ruler, uh, at St. George's Battery Point. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's a title that just basically means dog's body um because that's what you do when you're in charge of a church you just do whatever needs to be done um but it's lovely to come and visit you guys and to be sharing from the scriptures um together and uh, so thank you so much for having me and it's a great treat especially to be preaching on the lord's prayer um, this wonderful wonderful section from god's word uh, training us from jesus himself in how we are to pray So what do you hope for? My kids are hoping for the school holidays, especially because their cousins are coming down from Sydney to visit. I really hope they're not going to be disappointed with COVID. A friend of mine is hanging out for a particular upturn in lithium stock because he has a lot of shares in that. Maybe you're looking for recovery from an illness or maybe a broken relationship that you'd love to see restored. Maybe on a bigger picture, you're hoping for lasting action on global climate change, maybe peace in the Middle East, an end to human trafficking. In many ways, last year, coronavirus kind of put our hopes under a microscope, both our personal hopes and our hopes for the world around us. When life is out of control and seems so uncertain, our hopes can kind of shrink to just getting through the day. Hope is all about what we want for the future. And whether you are a Christian or not, We all have hopes for the future. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish doctor who survived the Nazi death camps in the Second World War. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he explored why uh, why it was that under such horrific conditions, some people stayed strong and kind while others gave up. He writes, The prisoner who had lost his faith in the future, his future, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. You see, we need hope to survive. Without hope, we wither and die. In this series, Teach Us to Pray, we're looking at that 
prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. In the prayer, Jesus teaches us first who it is that we pray to and then what we are to pray for. We pray to our Father in heaven who loves us and delights to give us good gifts because we are his children. And so that being the case, Jesus tells us to ask for six things. The first three requests focus on God, his name, his kingdom, his will. We start with God and his agenda and only then move to ourselves. In prayer, we ask for God to act for the future. And so this week we're looking at those two requests, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So part one, really straightforward sermon outline today. Part one, your kingdom come. Part two, your will be done. Very straightforward. So in teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, Jesus is teaching us what to hope for. It's a hope that is big enough to address the great problems of our world like poverty and climate change and yet personal enough to meet our longings for love and peace. So what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? And how might God answer this prayer? Well, your kingdom come refers to the kingdom of God. Or in Matthew's gospel, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' first words in Mark's gospel are, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom, you see, was always on Jesus' lips. And our reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, he paints a vision of this kingdom. Have a look with me. It says, He will judge the right, uh, with righteousness. He will judge the needy with justice. He will give his decisions for the poor of the earth. Verse 4. It's a vision of justice. It's a vision of peace and harmony between all creatures, man and beast, predator and prey. Nature is no longer red in tooth and claw. Have a look at verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And then verse 9, they'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This vision of the kingdom of God is of a world of justice where everything that is wrong with the world has been put right. A world of deep peace where everything that was broken has been made whole. 
What if you guys are young here? When you're young, you want to change the world. Some of you are a bit older. Maybe you have a few more regrets. You've seen more disappointment. But you still want what has been broken to be mended. It's what we long for, isn't it? It's what we pray for when we pray, your kingdom come. The question is, how will God answer this prayer? Your kingdom come. How will he bring in his kingdom of justice and peace? Again, Isaiah gives us the answer through his chosen king. Have a look at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. This is a poetic way of speaking about a descendant of Israel's greatest king, David, the son of Jesse. In verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus is great King David's greater son. He is the one who will judge the needy with righteousness and with justice give decisions for the poor of the earth. It's through him that God's kingdom comes because he is God's king. Well, how does Jesus bring in God's kingdom? Through his cross, his reign, and his return. On the cross, you see, Jesus defeated the great enemies of sin and death and rescued us from their power. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father, where he reigns over the history of this world until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And one day he will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That day will be a day of justice where all that is wrong with this world will be put right. That day will be a day when the, the whole of the creation will be renewed and cleansed of all that taints it in the fire of God's judgment, to use the picture from 2 Peter. What Isaiah saw dimly will be realized on that day. We pray your kingdom come because to bring in the kingdom of God is something that only God can do. It is beyond us. It's a prayer for Jesus to come and to make all things new. In praying your kingdom come, we surrender our attempts to remake the world. We submit to his rule because we recognize that we judge with our eyes and we decide by what we 
here, not with his perfect justice and righteousness. To pray your kingdom come is to ask Jesus to shape our hopes by his vision for the kingdom. And yet to pray your kingdom come is not to sit on your hands. See, to be a Christian is to follow Christ as your king. It means being a citizen of his kingdom as well as whatever country you're in. And as a citizen of his kingdom, he calls us to follow his laws and to work for his kingdom. So work for justice and peace, even as you look for his coming. That may be in a particular cause or place, wherever it is that God calls you. It may be in your relationships, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighbourhood. Beautiful story today just of hearing the, the working bee down at Blackman's Bay Primary School. What a beautiful little gift to them, a little foretaste, bringing order out of chaos, blessing of the kingdom. But we don't only work for the kingdom, we want other people to meet the king because the kingdom grows as its citizens increase. And so invite people to meet the king and find the life and hope and purpose that he offers. Maybe praying this prayer today might be a moment for you to meet the king. You see, our great temptation is that we can hope for too little and small hopes turn into worries and anxieties about the future. Praying your kingdom come lifts our eyes to hope for what God has promised, not only for us, but for the whole creation as well. And so Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Okay, part two, your will be done. What happens though when your vision, uh, when that vision, Jesus' vision rather, for the kingdom confronts us in ways that we don't really like? You know, perhaps his vision for the kingdom kind of cuts across my personal freedom. Does my vision of what it means to be human line up with his vision of the kingdom? The question is. How can you and I change to be the kind of person who works for the kingdom and not against it? Professor Neil Ferguson is one of the world's leading disease modelers. In March last year, at the start of the pandemic, on his advice, 
the UK government implemented strict social distancing measures. Then, in May last year, Ferguson had to step down from the UK's scientific advisory group for emergencies. Why? Well, it came out that he had been breaking those very same social distancing guidelines that the government had implemented in order that he could conduct an affair. See, we take freedom as freedom to do whatever we want to do. And we want to do what feels good. We want to avoid pain and suffering. We want to be in control. We want to be praised. But sometimes what we want is not actually good. We have an innate selfishness that bends us away from wanting the good. And all too often it seems that we use our freedom in ways that damage ourselves and those around us. Maybe being free isn't all that it's cracked up to be because we do such a bad job of it. That question, what is, it, what is a full human life, a, a good life, dare I say, a moral life look like? It's a question we all ask, whether you're a Christian or not. We all want to be seen as good people and we want to know how to be good. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I want to suggest that this prayer shows us how to be truly human. The prayer has a, a global sense that the Father's will is done on earth. Heaven, of course, is the place where God's will is done perfectly. The earth? Well, not so much, really. But we also get a sense that this starts with the personal, that the Father's will be done in my life and your life. So what does it look like to do the will of the Father? Well, the place where we discover this is through reading the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus sums up our calling as human beings as to love God and to love our neighbours as ourselves. That's a condensed summary of the Ten Commandments. I do find it interesting that people seem to remember the command to love, but we're not as good at remembering things like not coveting or not committing adultery or let alone having no other gods. Well, talk of commands can make us think that Christianity is all about being a good person and keeping all the rules. And sometimes we kind of want those rules. Other times, though, we, we don't want anything to do with them. We reject them. I remember as a teenager 
uh, other kids saying that being a Christian was all about being a killjoy. It was about saying no to all the fun things in life. I have to say that, quite frankly, sometimes we are just a bit too serious as Christians, which is a shame, really, because we of all people have reason to be joyful. Talking with other parents, I know, many of them often send their kids to church schools because they want them to learn Christian values. That vague notion, though, always seems to be put to one side when the Bible disagrees with my own moral compass. I think that all of us fear that if we take God too seriously, we might miss out on some of the fun in life. We fear that God might be holding out on us and his commands are are there to spoil our fun. That because he sometimes says no, that he might not love us. It's the same lie, actually, the snake used on our first parents in the garden. But God isn't a cosmic killjoy kind of wagging his disapproving finger at us. He's our heavenly father who wants what's best for us. He's our jealous lover. He doesn't want us ruining our lives by chasing after other men, but longs for us to respond to his lavish lavish affection toward us. The place where we most clearly see God's love for us is, of course, in the cross. And it's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating his own death, that Jesus himself prays this prayer, your will be done. Just before teaching the the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that loving your neighbor means loving your enemy. And now here in the garden, we see what Jesus' love for his father and his love for his enemies really means. Verse 38 of Matthew 26, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed to the po- with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not what I will, but as you will. Here we stand on holy ground. The cup Jesus speaks of is the cup of God's wrath against a people that defy him and deface those who bear his image and despoil the creation that he has made. It's the cup that Jesus will drink for you and for me so that we don't have to. And so that we might receive forgiveness and life from the Father. 
in the garden as that cup is held before him, everything in Jesus' humanity, the humanity he shares with us, cries out for self-preservation, control and comfort. The wrestle in his heart is so great that Luke says he sweats drops of blood. And still Jesus prays, yet not as I will, but as you will. He prays it out of love for his father and out of love for his enemies, even you and me. Here we see Jesus at his most human, living out what it is to be human, that is, doing the will of his Father in heaven. What does it look like to live a full human life? It's this, walking the way of the cross in the footsteps of Jesus, trusting the Father, saying no to self and yes to him. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even in my life. And we pray because we need God's help to do this. I don't know about you, but I certainly do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the Father gives his Holy Spirit to all who trust in Jesus. The Spirit is God's very presence and power with us and in us. The Spirit makes us alive to God. He gives us power to be fully human, to say with Jesus, not my will but yours be done. In all the trials and temptations of life. And the more we say your will be done, the more the Spirit will transform us to be like Jesus. The more he'll use us to spread his life and his light, the light of his kingdom. This is, this is a radical prayer. This is a terrifying prayer. This is a prayer that's going to change your life. Will you pray it today? Maybe there's one area of your life that you've been keeping from God, saying, not your will, but mine be done. Well, it's time to give it to him. You can trust him. He's not holding out on you. He loves you. He's given you his son. Maybe you've said the prayer your whole life. Uh, maybe you've said this prayer, but actually your whole life has kind of said to God, not your will but mine be done. Well, it's for you, even you, that Jesus drank that cup. It was for you that he prayed, not my will but yours be done. So today, will you, will you trust him with your life?
He's not holding out on you. He loves you. He's not going to let you down. <laughs> Today, will you, will you say, your will be done to the king who died for you?